All right, here we go. It is Park Sportsbook presents Stick to Hockey Live with Jason Martinez. Our special guest today will join us in just a moment. It'll be Scott Lachlan from the NHL Network uh, on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. He does uh, morning skate with Gord Stelic weekdays. Uh, and then uh, also with Mike Johnston. So we'll get to Scott in just a second. Let me tell you about Parks because they're a great sponsor. Make sure you download the Parks Sportsbook app on your iPhone or Android or whatever you need to do. Uh, it's easy to use, easy to navigate. I got it open right now. I was just looking at the Columbus game tonight, and I'm going to pick a first period tie at plus 155, <laughs> which is kind of lame. But new customers right now, if you sign up, you're going to get a $500 risk-free bet just for signing up. And uh, no deposit required. So check it out. Follow Park Sportsbook on Twitter at Park Sportsbook, on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all the different social media uh, platforms. Facebook, I, I didn't say that. I did. Yeah, I'm good. So it's going to be, uh, we'll give you some picks a little bit later in this episode as well. But let's get to the man right now. I haven't talked to him in a while. I hear him all the time, but I have not talked to him in a while. Oh, look at that. He's got a Metallica shirt on. That is good work. Scott Lachlan from the NHL Network Radio and the Morning Skate with Gord Stellick. Scott, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jason. I'm a little bit tired today just because of Metallica last night, second of two shows celebrating their 40th anniversary out there in San Francisco. So normally I'm up till about 1.30 in the morning Eastern time uh, each and every night watching hockey. Uh, of course, we don't have that at our disposal right now. So uh, blame any fatigue I've got today during the course of our conversation on Metallica and James Hetfield. How about that? What were you live streaming it? I was, I was, I, I saw there was a free live stream of this and this was the, the second show that they did. They did one Friday. And the unique thing that they did last night, Jason, was the set list that they did Friday was top to bottom. Last night they reversed it. They did the set list bottom to top. So oh, a bit wow. of a different look, a bit of a different sound last night, but leave it to Metallica to kind of outdo themselves. Huh? Wow, we're going to talk about Metallica because at at some point because they're celebrating forty years. How old does that make you feel, Scott? <laughs> Pretty old, you know. I mean, I'm a Kiss fan too, Jason. Right, yeah. I'm a Kiss fan too. So I was uh, with Kiss back in 1982. People will say, "Well, what about the what about the Destroyer run?" You know, and I'm thinking, well, I didn't really latch on to about Creatures of the Night circa 1982, and then once I got that hard and heavy Kiss a hard rock metal album that they did closest thing to metal. You could probably say that kiss ever did. Yeah. I went back and I, I searched out the back catalog. So yeah, it's been a, a long run for a lot of bands out there. Right. Kiss, Aerosmith, Metallica, uh, Judas priest, you know, still trying to yeah. finish up strong here too. So uh, we're starting to see some of the great bands, of course, sort of move on into greater pastures. I, I hope they can stick around for a few more years. Yeah. I've seen Metallica so many times. And recently when I saw them, before the pandemic hit, they still sounded great. It's to me, that's like, they're the band of hockey. <laughs> just tight. You know? They're just always so tight. It just looks like yeah. they're, they're playing together and they're just in the primes of their careers. Even though, as you say, Jason, it's been 40 years now. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, let's get to some pucks. We'll circle back to Metallica. Cause I'm going to put a quiz to you on uh, the, your top three songs, but let, let's start here, Scott, because I know you guys have been talking about it. It's the buzz of the hockey world. It's the buzz of our world period. End of sentence. And COVID, more teams uh, getting postponed today. Columbus is going to postpone until after the break, as are the Montreal Canadiens. So, you know, when you look at this situation that's going on in the NHL, in sports, in our world, is it the right move, in your opinion, to kind of plow forward here, not put a pause on the entire thing, not knowing when you might come back? I think it is just for that reason you mentioned, Jason. I think that, you know what, if, if you shut it down now, I don't know when you're coming back. I mean, from all we've been told by the epidemiologists out there uh, who study this sort of thing, 
this is bad right now. It's going to remain bad for a while. It might get worse even. I just fear that if you shut it down, Jason, that, you know, I, I think we'd wonder when the lights might come back on again. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if you've got to reschedule games or shut down this team for a week or shut down that team for a week, uh, I think that's all well and good. You know, take the safety precautions. Uh, I don't want to see them or hear them shut down the league entirely. Yeah. Uh, again, that's still an option, I guess, that, that may present itself here. I prefer for the time being to kind of plow through here a little bit. Let's try to reschedule the games probably during the Olympic break when they obviously would have been busy uh, with the Beijing games. That's not going to happen, I don't think so. I think from my perspective, just try to push your way through it. If you have to reschedule, you reschedule. But I'm just fearful that if you do shut it down, I'm not quite certain when we're going to come back again. Yeah, and if it's shutting da- shut down for a period of time, training facilities not open, then you're going to have to have some sort of training camp for players to get back in shape. There's a lot of logistics. Scott, you just alluded to the Olympics in Beijing. Is this a situation where they're just waiting for the players to make that decision, which seems to be ob- obvious at this point because – you know, Gary Bettman and, you know, the NHL front off, uh, executive offices and the owners agreed to let the players go. So they don't want to renege on the agreement, but they're, they're kind of putting it in the players' hands to say, you know, this is logical. You guys absolutely should not be going. Well, Bill Daly said recently in Florida, he said, look, if there's a material change to the schedule, we're going to have no recourse but to shut it down and, and not go to the Olympics. So I think we've seen a material change to the schedule, right? We've yeah. had too many teams get shut down here. There have been too many cases So I think that gives the league the wherewithal to jump on this and suggest to the players, you know what, guys, you might want to think twice about this. Quite frankly, Jason, look, before this past weekend where the cases went up and up and up and more teams got shut down and more games got rescheduled, quite frankly, I was of the belief they're not going to go anyway. Just because we started to hear that, you know, if a Connor McDavid or a Patrick Kane might test positive while in Beijing, they've got to quarantine for three, four, five weeks in another country on another continent. I can't see how the players would be up to that. I certainly wouldn't think that the the teams would be up for that. Could you imagine Connor McDavid, semifinals of the Olympics, he tests positive. They play the gold medal game. The Olympics are over. Back in North America, the NHL schedules uh, started up again, and there's Connor McDavid at some testing center in Beijing, China. Uh, That's not good for anybody. I don't think the players would even be up for it. So I had my doubts, serious doubts, as to whether or not they were up for it. Before this past weekend, and with more teams getting shut down and more and more games getting postponed, I think it's pretty clear right now we're probably a matter of minutes away from the NHL and the NHLPA coming out and saying officially, we're not going. Uh, We're going to try to make up the schedule here in North America during those three weeks where they otherwise would have been over in China. Yeah, and the word he used was unsettling with the situation, and that was that's a that's a big word in this situation. But Stephen Stamkos, Scott, actually, you know, had a slightly different view because he's never gone to the Olympics. Right. Obviously, he's going to discuss it with his wife and his family and his employer, the team, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, but he's in a slightly different situation, maybe willing to incur a little bit of that risk. He's also got two Stanley Cups sitting on his shelf at home, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that helps a little bit, doesn't it? It does. It does. And another thing I wondered about last week too, Jason, was what about the Russian players? Mm -hmm. Because remember years ago, Alexander Ovechkin came out and basically said, I'm going to the Olympics, whether the players associations behind me or not, I'm going to the Olympics. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder how Ted Leonsis feels about that. The guy that signs his checks, uh, the guy that depends on him for weeks on end to carry the Washington Capitals uh, at a very key point in time during the quote unquote dog days of the NHL season. So I'd be interested to find out once it does become official, as we all expect that it will, 
just exactly what the Russian players are thinking, because we know another thing too, Jason, about the Russians. They're under more pressure perhaps than any other country to perform for their country at the Olympics, at the highest stage, go win us a gold medal, whether it's the Olympic athletes of Russia, as they were known in 2018, or the Russian Olympic Committee, like they're going to be known in Beijing coming up in February. There is a tremendous pull for Russian players to represent their country. We often used to make fun of Ovechkin because every time that they got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs, and usually it was at the hands of Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins, right up until 2018 when they broke through, and all of a sudden that debate ended. But we always used to make fun of Ovechkin because the very next day after getting knocked out of the playoffs, he'd be on the first flight over to Europe to represent his country at the World Hockey Championship. The pull was that great for him. Others back in North America, Capitals fans were going, hey, shouldn't you be wallowing in your misery a little bit here? Shouldn't you be hurting a little bit like we are? How can you do this and, and, and jump on the first plane out of town to go play at the World Hockey Championship? This should mean more to you. Well, I think it means a lot to the Russians as well uh, back at home. So I'll be interested to find out from guys like Ovechkin and Vasilevsky and players like that, once it does become official, what their thoughts on this whole matter are going to be. Yeah, probably not so much Panarin though, right? <laughs> after everything that went yeah. down. Yeah, isn't that funny too, Jason? We heard last season after he went through that and he had to extricate himself from the Rangers for a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. We had heard that at the end of the season, he was going to let everybody in on what was going on. I don't think we ever got to the bottom of what it was. I think we can kind of guess what it was. Uh, but he never came out and said, this is why I left the New York Rangers, and here's why we're going to carry on. We didn't get any, any reason for it, but again, it doesn't take a genius to add up two and two and get four. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the Rangers, and let's talk about the Metropolitan Division, Scott, because the Rangers, you know, they're a team that were, were making these steps. They had, you know, what took place at the end of last year with the ultimately the dismissal of Jeff Gordon and uh, J.D. and John Davidson and a team that was on the rise, and then they turned it over to Chris Drury and new head coach and Gerard Gallant, uh, but they're a team that's taken a big, big step forward. They're a legit team, and right now, I mean, only a point back in the Metro, which is a really good division. They got two a game in hand on Washington. Carolina's got one on them, but they're a legit team, and they're a team to look out for for many years to come. Yeah, look, I thought Jeff Morton and J.D. got the raw end of the deal last year, Jason. Agreed. I didn't understand why that happened, when it happened the way it did. Coincidentally, it happened right around that time where James Dolan, who can be heated at the best of times, released that statement that was scathing of the National Hockey League and questioning the integrity of a guy like George Peros in the Department of Player Safety after what happened with Tom Wilson uh, kicking sand in the face collectively of the New York Rangers. So I, I think... Again, although it was never said, I think that had a lot to do with it. Uh, but what Jeff Gordon left behind uh, for Chris Drury was a very good hockey team, a very mm -hmm. good emerging team that's got a real good combination of veterans and youth. You've got the reigning Norris Trophy winner. You've got one of the best young goaltenders in the league, and Igor Shosturkin, who really carried this team the first couple of weeks of the season in particular before they got going. He got hurt. Georgiev came in. He's played fairly well to keep the ship afloat as well. So I think the Rangers have a real good team that's led by, uh, again, a stud on defense and Adam Fox. They've got more than enough scoring up front. And I think what we've got in New York, too, with Panarin and with Kreider and Zabanajad are three guys in particular that can carry this team while the young guys start to try to figure things out, right? There's, there's no extra added pressure on the likes of a Capo Caco or an Alexi yeah. Lafreniere. They can wait on these kids to come around. Why? Well, because they've got the veterans up front 
that have carried the team a little bit, kind of like Philadelphia was, I would say, a year or two ago when you saw Giroux and Voracek uh, be the veterans that would carry the team, Couturier as well. Uh, you could have the young guys like the Konechnys and the Farabees kind of take their time to come up through the system and wait on them to blossom. That's the way it's supposed to work, ideally. It's the way we've seen it work at Anaheim this season as well, where you had guys like Getzlaff carrying the team for years. Now you've got all these other guys in the Sam Steeles and the Troy Terrys and certainly the Zegrises and Sonny Milanos that are starting to come of age. That's the way it's supposed to work, and I think that's the way it's worked on Broadway with the Blue Shirts so far this season. Yeah, the, the Anaheim Ducks are like probably the biggest shocker of this season. And they're a fun team to watch, Scott. You know, Zegers that play to Milano where he flips it over the net. I don't like to play as a goalie because I think it's dangerous with guys swinging their sticks that high and somebody's going to catch one in the chops or a goalie's going to catch a blade of the stick to the eye. But I, I'm, I'm sounding like the fun police, but that's, that's a really tight It sounded like John team. Tortorella, Jason. I know. It sounded like torts. Well, I got to stick up for the goalie union. <laughs> anyway, uh, let, let's talk about Carolina is a team that we didn't see last year in Philadelphia because they were not in the Mass Mutual East Division. And I think some Flyer fans and some fans around here kind of didn't know or didn't remember how good of a team they are. They're well coached with Rod Brindamore. They've got star power with guys like Ajo. They lost Dougie Hamilton, but they picked up Tony D'Angelo. He's picked up a lot of that slack. That Carolina team is one that could be poised for a big run as well. Yeah, again, you're talking about a team up front that's got all kinds of balance, and you've got guys that are just starting to come into the primes of their respective careers when you talk about guys like Ajo and Natchez and Tara Vinen in particular. Yeah, I think on the back end, you're right, Jason, you hit on it. They lost Dougie Hamilton. You're thinking, okay, well, this team's going to take a step back. Uh, to his credit, D'Angelo who left New York on under some mysterious circumstances. And, you know, we, we, we hear about speculation off the ice and that kind of thing. And again, unless you're in the room, you don't really know what the story really was. Uh, but D'Angelo has resurrected his career. He's fit like a glove with Carolina. Uh, seems like they've got along swimmingly right now. The numbers tell us they're probably the best team in the national hockey league. And then you talk about goaltending. I didn't understand why Nadelkovich was allowed to walk uh, essentially the way that he was. Signs on in Detroit. I think he's made a world of difference for Steve Eiserman with the Red Wings this season. They've been a pretty good story as well in the Atlantic Division. But you got to give credit where it's due. They went out and they got Freddie Anderson. I got to tell you, Freddie Anderson was really good for the Leafs for many, many seasons. Uh, the criticism of Anderson, as it is with the rest of the Toronto Maple Leafs, is, well, you can't win a playoff series. You can't win a game seven in Boston where they failed not once but twice. Uh, but so far this season, he's been one of the top goaltenders, and they haven't missed a beat with what they've got between the pipes. So I think you got to give Don Waddell credit, uh, again, for losing what he lost, replacing what he's had to replace. And the guys that he brought in are more than uh, getting the job done. And all the while, I mean, Flyers fans know about Rod Brindamore. Yeah. And you know what Rod's uh, M.O. was? It was work ethic. It was heart. It was grit. It was soul. It was fight. That's exactly what he brings behind the bench for the Carolina Hurricanes. He's quickly turned out to be one of the top coaches in the National Hockey League. Uh, I think at some point he'll get paid more because that's always been a talking point of Tom Dundon with Carolina as well. Uh, but I tell you what, Rod Brindamore has quickly turned into a, a very good head coach here in the NHL. And I think things might only get better for here, the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, he's just brought an identity to the team that even if we lose some player, it's almost like the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like their identity, we can lose guys, and but we're going to replace them with another stealer. Like they're replacing guys with another Kane. It's it seems so identifiable to me. Let's talk about Washington because we're going to see him here in Philadelphia, presumably, 
you know, everything's up in the air at this point, but presumably tomorrow night at Wells Fargo, as the Flyers will take on the Caps. Flyers beat them earlier this season in Washington, 2-1, real tight game. Alexander Ovechkin, I mean, Scott, I don't know if you can explain it. I can't explain it. At his age, what, 34, 35 years of age, he's got 22 goals. He's got 47 points, uh, basically second in the National Hockey League behind McDavid and Dreisaitl, who lead with 49. But there's just no signs of Ovi slowing down in any way, shape, or form. He's doing it again. And the guy, I mean, throws more hits than just about anybody. And we know about the one-timer and the, the scoring ability, the greatest scorer I've ever seen, in my opinion, that's ever put on skates. How's he keep doing this? Boy, I tell you, you could make the case this season, Jason, he might be the Hart Trophy winner right now. I agree. Of course, you know, you could talk about Drysaddle and McDavid, and each mm-hmm. one of them would be more than up for the task of hoisting that Hart Trophy. But you could really make the case uh, for Alexander Ovechkin. Uh, he shows no signs of slowing down. In fact, I mean, I think we started this season going, well, is he going to get to 895? Is he going to get to 895? I don't know. And as the season's gone on, you're thinking the way he's playing, it might just be a matter of time. I mean, yeah. at this point, he has not hit the wall. He's far from hitting the wall. At this point, he's become a better playmaker, which is amazing to see all the assists that he's piled up because for the longest time, you could have put him in some Cy Young conversations early on each and every NHL season. Uh, I think he's turned out to be a really good leader over the years too. I mentioned this on the air recently too, Jason. When you look at the way that we perceive Alexander Ovechkin now, as compared to where we perceived them to be before they won the cup in 2018, it's like night and day. I mean, this guy, I mean, like I said, every time they get knocked out in the first round, the knives would come out and this guy can't get it done. And, you know, Crosby always beats him in every competition going back to the world junior circuit 2005. uh, And Crosby always gets the better of them. Well, they finally got the better of the penguins. They finally went on to win the Stanley cup. Now we perceive Ovechkin in an entirely different light. I think the personality that we used to see that was always sort of gruff and looked to be frustrated and upset now becomes that colorful personality that Mm -hmm. ends up celebrating Stanley Cups and water fountains and things like that, right? So (laughs) I think the the changing perception of Ovechkin with his personality and the way that we look at him now is certainly different because he went on to win a, a Stanley Cup in 2018. As we know, if you win a Stanley Cup championship, if you win a championship any sport, As they say, you can never take it away from that person. And all of a sudden, the criticisms and the critics that were out there suddenly get a lot quieter. uh, And it looks pretty good in the business card to boot when you can win a Stanley Cup, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. And the the way he celebrated on the ice, then obviously off the ice with that offseason, the tour of party. um, Fans can identify with that because that's how they react, right? He was emotional like a fan and just freaked mm-hmm. out. And that, I thought it made him it made him a lovable character. Before he was maybe a bit tragic, you're right, before the Cup. Uh, and Crosby would always get the best of him. But let's go to Pittsburgh because mm. we've been talking about, reading about the demise of the Penguins for so long, right? And it's just not happening. This is a team on right now just absolutely – they're a wagon right now. They, they've won six straight. They didn't have Crosby and Malkin to start the year. They lost Latang at points. They've lost Gensel. Doesn't matter. Team keeps winning. I just uh, we, we keep waiting for it in Philadelphia for them to kind of fall down, but they refuse to fall down. You talked earlier about identity too, right? I mean, yeah, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and, and you talk about guys fitting like a glove, and you know the obvious case is the New England Patriots, right? We always mm-hmm. talked about guys, and that you know guys drafted outside the first round that most football fans had never heard of. 
all of a sudden guys step up and Ramondre Stevenson looks like Corey Dillon, you know, when he's making Super Bowl runs back in the day. Stuff like that always happens with the Patriots. Seems like things happen with Pittsburgh too. They've established such an identity and such a culture. Remember when we used to say like, well, who's Brian Rust? You know, where, where did Jake Gensel come from? Seemingly these guys come out of left field. Connor Sherry is putting up points, playing with Sidney Crosby back in the day, right? So guys that they can plug in that just seemingly get around good players. The good players have established that culture. Guys like Crosby and Malkin when he's healthy, and they're awaiting his arrival probably sometime after Christmas, I guess, uh, which could make them even stronger along the way. Look, I think I think Mike Sullivan is doing a great job. And, you know, you could make the case for Rod Brindamore once again being the Jack Adams winner. I think you could make the case for Mike Sullivan, who will not be coaching Team USA at the Olympics, but he's coaching Pittsburgh perhaps into a playoff spot. And going back to the way that they started with the injuries and the COVID cases and the question marks about Tristan Jari between the pipes, I mean, it's unbelievable what they've done. Crosby, you know, not being their best player. I think I saw a stat yesterday, Jason, that indicated that in the last five games that Pittsburgh has had Sidney Crosby play in where he's been held pointless, they've won all five of those games. Yeah, That would have been unthinkable a couple of years ago. Yeah, The best player on the team – Goes pointless, chances are Pittsburgh's not winning. They've won the last five games that they've played in where Crosby's been held off the score sheet with no points. So that goes to speak of that culture. Evan Rodriguez steps up. Yeah. Barry Kapanen gets a chance to play with number 87, and he looks like he's all of a sudden going to start scoring points. So somehow, someway, they find a way to, to get it done. Uh, but perhaps, as I mentioned, uh, Tristan Jari's name, that's where it starts, Jason. Music to your ears. Tristan yeah. Jari's a former All-Star. We know him. Uh, from St. Louis in the All-Star weekend a couple of years ago. I had my doubts after the Islanders playoff series and the way that he flamed out as to whether he could rebound or not. Ron Hextall knew this guy. Uh, Brian Burke said, let's give it a roll again to start the season. You know, granted, some of the cap constraints had them uh, handcuffed to a certain extent. But boy, oh boy, where would they be without Tristan Jari? Where would they be without these guys like Evan Rodriguez that have sucked it up and, and really stepped up with some big star power on the sidelines? A phenomenal story, remarkable what Pittsburgh's built so far this season. Yeah, and it's amazing, too. Some really good, savvy general managing there. You mentioned Rodriguez. You look at Jeff Carter. I mean, these are mm-hmm. these are really good moves that are paying dividends for that Pittsburgh team. Scott, you know, one of the things in, in Philadelphia, you know, it's obviously been a bit of a bipolar season. The Flyers have wins over Carolina. I mentioned the Washington game. They beat Calgary. They beat Edmonton. They've beaten Boston. They had a 10-game winless skid. They fired the coach after they lost 7-1 to against the Tampa Bay Lightning when Tampa was playing game five uh, in seven nights, and the Flyers were rested. And then Mike uh, you know, Mike Yo comes in now. He's 4-2-1 and as the head coach. They're 4-0-1 in their last five. What the heck is this team, from, from your perspective, and the Flyers right now? And, you know, is this some – they're not that far out of it. They're only four points out of that second wild card spot. Can you figure this team out? I need a little help here. Well, I knew you'd ask me that question, Jason, and I was trying to figure out what the answer would be. And and quite frankly, I don't know what the Philadelphia Flyers are right now. We talked about identity. I mean, yeah. the Flyers, uh, more so than perhaps any other team, I guess you could throw Boston into that category. For decades and decades and decades, I kind of knew what I was going to get from Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia has always been one of the more colorful teams. They've always had that identity. You always knew when the big Flyers were coming into town. You know, even when it wasn't the Broad Street Bullies, and that was a long, long time ago, as we know, you always knew that you get the hard work ethic, 
you get a physical hockey team coming in. Uh, you always got what you thought you'd expect to get when you played the Philadelphia Flyers. I don't know what they are right now. Perhaps it's the old, you know, Bill Parcells line. Your record is uh, what it is, and you are what your record says you are. Yeah. And right now, Philadelphia, uh, again, the 4-0-1 run has been impressive to see under Mike Yo lately. But when you look at the big picture, it's still a team that's an average team. Yeah. Uh, they're average at home. They're average on the road. That's what the big picture tells us. They've had their ups. They've had their downs. I'm still looking for this team to, to carve out some sort of identity. Now, maybe it happens, and hopefully it happens here in the coming weeks and months. Sounds like Mike Yo, and certainly with the way that they played of late, is going to get a longer look than a lot of people expected. Because when, when AV was shown the door, everybody expected, well, there's Rick Tockett. He's on line one, right? Wouldn't that yeah. be a great storyline to have the beloved Rick Tockett back in Philly behind the bench? I think that Rick could do a bang-up job with his team. I think that John Tortorella could do a bang-up job with this team. But Mike Yo has won in this league before. He's having success with this team. I'm just, you know, curious and intrigued to find out what this team's going to turn out to be here in the coming weeks and coming months ahead. Because right now, like I said, Jason, there's no identity that says this is what Philly's about. They're not overly physical. They're yeah. not going to be a fast-skilled team that's going to outskate you most nights. They're not a team that's going to just be lethal on the power play like the Edmonton Oilers are most nights. Albeit the last couple of weeks, they've fallen back a little bit. I just want to see more of an identity from this team. And I think that in the coming weeks and months ahead, like I said, I think we'll start to see some of that. You know, I, I hope we get to play all the games, certainly, and we get to play the full 82 to see what this team's all about. But I'm still waiting on this team. As, as strange as that seems to, to, to be after, what, 25, you know, 30, 30-plus 30 games into the season, I'm still waiting to see more from this team vis-a-vis its identity. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I almost think, Scott, that they – you know how when you're driving, if a, a – a raccoon jumps on the road in front of you, you try and avoid it, you overcorrect and you end up in the, you know, spinning yeah. the car. They maybe course corrected a little too hard from that broad street bully mentality mm -hmm. because they went too far away from it. And we're seeing yeah. in the league right now, you see teams like, what did the Tampa Bay Lightning do after they got knocked out by Columbus? They bought it, brought in Pat Maroon, you know, Blake mm -hmm. Coleman, Barkley Goudreau. They brought in some guys that can bang and, give you a playoff success because you need that element. Flyers need a little bit more of that. But I think any team that is trying to figure out what their identity is, whether that's organizational franchise or just the players in that room, I always think that that's not a good recipe. You have to know who you are, be who you are every night, every day when you show up to the ring for practice. And I think that's part of the issue right here. I, it's a great point you make about uh, their identity. Well, and I also think, too, Jason, you look at teams like Anaheim and Los Angeles, right? We know mm. how they won their Stanley Cups. The Ducks in 2007, the Kings in 12 and 14. They won their Stanley Cups back when it was physically, uh, you know, intimidating to, to be that way. Uh, they were big, strong, physical teams. Big, heavy. Again, they were heavy teams. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. Ken Hitchcock coined it heavy hockey years ago, right? And, and, and you knew what those teams were all about. And then it was like overnight, the game changed. It got younger. And it got quicker, and teams like Los Angeles and Anaheim got left behind. They were left back in the dust. It's taken them years to retool their operations to what you see now. You've got Los Angeles are younger, they're quicker. Anaheim certainly is younger and quicker and more yeah. skilled, and they're fun to watch. That wasn't the case two or three years ago. Both those teams got caught in the crosshairs of the almost overnight change to get younger and quicker in the NHL, and they flipped the switch. Now, they can still be physical when they have to. You look at Anaheim, they've got guys like Josh Manson on the back end. Uh, they can play tough when they have to. Uh, 
Uh, Max Comtois is a big, strong, physical guy up front that can play that bang and crash type of hockey. Los Angeles still has a couple of those guys as well that are kind of sticking around right now. But for the most part, they've made that transition. Right now, Philadelphia, like you say, making a transition, and, and we see that maybe they're caught somewhere in between, still looking for that identity. So the, the coming weeks and months ahead are going to tell the tale in Philly. Let me ask you about Giroux, because he just tied Bill Barber for second all-time in points for the Flyers. And he's now going to try and track down Bob Clark. This isn't going to happen. He's got 1,210 points, and Giroux's got 883. Giroux also leads the NHL in power play points since 2010. You're talking about 11 seasons. Never had an Ovechkin just to hand the puck to and let him bomb away. But your perception of Giroux, because in this city, he's a polarizing figure, oddly enough, because they haven't had team success since his captaincy, but he's had tremendous individual success. And I think some people want to hold him accountable for the flaws in the roster, which he can't control, but he's a guy that, you know, a lot of the city believes he's way overrated. A lot of the city believes he's way underrated. That's where I am, that he's an underrated player. I think he's a great player trying to drag his team as best he can night in and night out. And how's he perceived up there north of the border and the way you look at Giroux and what he's accomplished as, as a player in this league? Yeah, having followed you on Twitter for years, Jason, I can see the back and forth that you sometimes have with fans out there, right? So yeah. he is a polarizing captain. There's no question about it. I agree with you. I, I I think he's he's still a good player. I think he's proven that this season. I know there's a lot of talk that this could be it for him. And, you know, I heard a couple of months ago people say, well, he played in Gatineau, which is in the, the Ottawa area, which is Ottawa's in Ontario, Gatineau's in Quebec just across the river. Wouldn't it be something at a time in their development if Claude Giroux could go home, so to speak, and play uh, for the Ottawa Senators, even though he is from Hearst, Ontario, play junior hockey, sort of in that Ottawa-Gatineau area. Uh, that option would be open to him, no doubt, if, in fact, he can't re-up with the Flyers. And I guess until they extend him uh, or what have you, then that, that speculation is always going to be out there. Look, I think he's been a star player in this league for quite some time. I also think there probably is something to the fact that you know, it was Giroux and it was Voracek and it was that sort of nucleus. Couturier had grown into that nucleus as well, uh, where, again, the team success wasn't necessarily there. And you look at that nucleus as being a nucleus that that can't come through. That doesn't necessarily mean he hasn't been a really good player for this franchise. And I think that's where I'm at. They haven't had the team success. I still think he's a productive player. Uh, he's not the player he once was when you get into your you know, early 30s, you just cannot be that same type of player. Uh, but he still is impactful. He still can influence a game. I think we've seen that again this season here. So I agree with you. I think the assessment being that he's a star player, but he was part of that nucleus that didn't necessarily get over the top or or, or go on to expected heights. And I think some of that's held against him. But look, he, he's the type of guy that every other team in the NHL would want to have on their club. Uh, I think Philadelphia would be wise to keep him. But again, if, if the club doesn't make the playoffs, uh, if they can't respond and you know work towards that identity that you and I spoke of moments ago, I think that all bets could be off and, and they might look to retool this thing and, and strip it down even further. Yeah, maybe you send him to Colorado for a playoff run. He would fit in there. He would be a really good player on that team, but he wouldn't be the focal point. I imagine after all these years of captaincy, he's the longest tenured captain in Philadelphia and longest yeah. tenured athlete right now going to Colorado and being a hockey player and not having to be all those other things because you got McKinnon, you got McCarr, you have those, you know, Landeskog. You can go there and just play hockey. I think Basin that has be, been outstanding too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would be liberating for him. I would imagine. Let, let, let's talk real quick about the Atlantic division because, 
you know, it's a fascinating division as well. The Leafs right now tied at the top of the division. And we know the Leafs are a team that can absolutely fill it up. They can, they can beat you seven to four night in and night out. The question, as you alluded to earlier, Scott is playoffs. And that's that question is not going to be answered for this season for quite some time, but this team looks a little bit, uh, you know, better to me overall than, than some of these teams that stumbled in the playoffs. They've been really, really good, Jason. There's no getting around it. And again, critics and cynics will come out and say, who cares what you're doing now? Talk to me at game 83, and then we'll figure it all out from there. I understand that. I've always said, though, I mean, you've got to get there first. You still have to do the heavy lifting to put yourself into a position to accomplish good things at the most important time of the season. So they're doing what they have to do. I agree with you. I think some of the additions that they've made here the past couple of years are starting to really pay off. Uh, the Wayne train, as you guys know, in Philly can be a yeah. difference maker. Again, he's not the same player he once was when he played for the Flyers, but he's a role guy that can play up and down uh, your 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 line combinations up front. Uh, he still holds everybody accountable. Uh, he's still intimidating. He's still one of the toughest guys in the league when he wants to be, that's for sure, and when he has to be. Uh, I think that they've received a lot from veterans like Jason Spezza. You know, Spezza's like that NBA player that you don't have to call a play for, but at the end of the night, you look up and he's got 14 points and 10 rebounds and you go, this guy's contributed. And yet he was not a focal point. He wasn't supposed to be. He makes his own shots yeah. and he, he finds a way to impact the, the game that way. So that's what Spets is doing at this stage of his career. The big four, the guys that they pay all the money to up front, got off to a bit of a slow start, started to turn the corner and they've been off and running ever since then. Defense is good. Uh, Morgan Riley's a very underrated defenseman. Uh, TJ Brody's a very quietly underrated type defenseman. Jake Muzzin's kind of fit like a glove. Their goaltending has been great. Jack Campbell's about ready ready to hear the, the cash registers go off in his ear, Jason, as he's going to hit it rich uh, and, and get a, a big new contract, presumably from the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I think this team is better. Uh, Cynics will say again, talk to me in the playoffs. They haven't yeah. won a playoff series since 2004. And there's no way that you can change that until you get to the, the postseason. I still like Tampa to win the division, though. I, with the way that Tampa has played here, especially the last couple of weeks, Jason, knowing they've been without Kucherov and Braden Point, you know, arguably their two best forwards. I don't really think there's even much of an argument now. No. Stamkos has done his part. But those are the most impactful forwards that they've had. They've been without Kucherov for a couple of months. They've been without Braden Point for a long time now, too. Those guys are about ready to come back in. And you look up and all the while, they're right there battling for top spot still, too. So I still like Tampa Bay to win the division. I probably have Toronto finishing second. And I've got Florida having enough to hang on for third spot in the Atlantic division. You know, we've seen that there are some holes here with the Florida Panthers lately that have seen them drop a couple of games. And, you know, we know that the transition was something that went seamlessly from Joel Quenville the way that he left. And Andrew Burnett comes on as the interim head coach and has done a bang-up job as well. Uh, but maybe, again, we're starting to see some some holes there with the Florida Panthers. I think it's going to be Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Florida finishing 1-2-3 in the Atlantic Division. Oh, that'll, be, that'll be a fascinating playoff situation as well. Let, let me ask you real quick, because we've seen four coaches in, under different circumstances depart their post, whether that's Elaine Vigneault in Philadelphia who was fired, whether that was – you know, obviously what happened with Joel Quenville in Florida, a uh, very unfortunate situation, whether that's what we saw with Paul Maurice in Winnipeg this past week, resigning his position. And then obviously with Travis Green in Vancouver, in comes Bruce, all ho-hum, just go 6-0 and to start. That's, and, and that's Gabby for you. That's what he does. And that team will find offense with him in, on the bench. There's no doubt about it. 
But I, I was on TSN radio in 1290 and they asked me, why are the Flyers always changing coaches? And I said, well, it's not really a flyer question. It's an NHL question. I said, because it works. Why does it work? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, there's no doubt. And I know you've been a hockey fan for a long time, Jason, too. I mean, the push to change coaches is much more rapid than it used to be, right? Yeah. Coaches would be given a little bit more leash, uh, I think, back in the old days to kind of work their way out of it. Uh, you get a couple of years. Now it's like if it's not working after a year, you could be gone, right? Uh, so I, I think the pressure to win, and this maybe speaks towards line combinations too, right? You know, you and I watched hockey back in the day when lines would stay together for weeks and months at a time. You yeah. wanted to develop that chemistry and, and give it time to, to see Bobby Clark and Bill Barber and Reggie Leach. I know that's going back a ways and we're kind of dating ourselves a little bit. Um, but you, you would keep that line together because they go through their ups and downs, but more often than not, you knew what you'd get. Now it seems like coaches are a little bit more impatient because they have to be. The pressure to win is immense, whether it's social media, whether it's all the money that is around the game these days, whatever the case may be, uh, the pressure to win is immense. And if you're not getting the job done and you go through an eight-game winless streak, all of a sudden the hounds start to howl a little bit. You go through an eight-game winless streak back in the day and you go, all right, you know what, give it a few more weeks. I'm sure things will get turned around. Now there's so much more of an impetus to win. Like I looked at Paul Maurice and I said to Mike Johnson, when this broke on, on Friday morning, right around 10 30 AM Eastern time, I said, I can't imagine that this is hockey related. I mean, there's still a couple of games over 500. They're right there on the mix in the central division. I know they've been averaged the last couple of weeks at four five and one. I can't see this as hockey related as it turns out. It was hockey yeah. related. He felt like he'd taken that thing as far as he could it was one of the rare circumstances in pro sports, Jason, where we saw a coach voluntarily step away from his position. Usually you have to push those guys right out the door. You have to give them the pink slip to make them leave. Uh, he just said, you know what? I've taken this thing as far as I can. The way he put it, I've pushed the rock up the hill, but that's as far as this can go. Uh, it, it was it was different. Uh, some would say it's refreshing to see a coach step away like that. He's won a lot. I'm sure he's going to win again in his next stop. And the reality was, too, he talked about how much fun it used to be to come to the rink. He said the last couple of years have been challenging. It's not been the same. I think we can all understand that in every different walk of life. It has been a challenging time. It affected Paul Maurice, and he felt like the time was right to step away. It'll be to our benefit, like with Bruce Boudreaux, right? We enjoyed talking with Bruce about hockey, and he was yeah. a, an NHL Network guy, and he was on the air with us every week, and he had different radio hits that he do in and around North America. That'll be what happens with Paul Maurice, too. He'll be at Rogers Sports Center, TSN. Hopefully we can convince him to join us in Bruce's slot on NHL Morning Skate every Thursday morning and reap the benefits of a real great communicator and hockey guy. Uh, but he'll be back, I think. He'll he'll be better for this at his next stop, wherever that might be. Yeah, eight years in Winnipeg. He certainly defied the odds with that tenure. And it, you're right. When he makes himself available, there's going to be teams lining up to get him because he's a damn good coach. And I, I totally respect that he did the he 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 knew he would the team maybe needed a new yeah. messenger and uh, I respect a guy that that does that I really do Scott let me ask you um, at NHL Network Radio you did the afternoon show forever the power play mm -hmm. now you're doing morning drive how are you getting up in the morning is it tough oh it is uh, <laughs> it's yes. tough I'm not gonna kid you I I, <laughs> I used to work with a guy at uh, at something we call the team which is an ill-fated attempt at a cross Canada sports radio network uh, Jason we lasted 16 months. Uh, we were going up basically against the, the the fans radio network in Canada. 
they had had such a huge head start on us. Uh, and, and we lasted 16 months. So live and learn. You go from there. I learned back then that Canada, first and foremost, cares about hockey. That was the first thing I learned about. Um, but no, how do I like it? 